Happy St. Patrick's Day. Anybody Irish here? Anybody? Hey, happy St. Patty's Day. Wonderful. Wonderful. Good, good. Good to see a few token Irish folks in the class. <laughs> we don't want too many. <laughs> Trish, you're not Irish, are you? Are you? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. A <laughs> little bit of this, a little bit of... <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I'm not Irish. <laughs> yeah, there. Oh, there. Way to go, Jess. <laughs> Folks, we are in Luke chapter 15. Brother Chuck and I are off schedule. Ordinarily, we do two Sundays apiece. But uh, the beauty of being in partnership is when something comes up, we can mix and match. So Brother Chuck just taught last week, which would lead you to think he's supposed to be here today, but it didn't quite work out that way. Um, so I'm here today, and Brother Chuck will be here, Lord willing, next week. That's just the way it is. And uh, Luke chapter 15 is marvelous. I'm going to do part of it. He will do, Lord willing, the next part. It, it's, uh, it consists of three parables, stories, same theme, that which is lost, first an animal, then a coin, lastly, a son. Uh, I'll do the first two. Brother Chuck will talk about the third next week. Here's the first. It begins in verse 1. Take a look. Chapter 15. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him. Who's the him? Yeah, were coming near Jesus to listen to him. Does your Bible render the phrase tax collectors in any different way? Tax gatherers, and someone said? Publican. Publican. It's the same thing. So what was the ethnicity of these tax gatherers, these publicans, these tax collectors? Yeah, they were Jews. Who'd they work for? Ah, they were Jews working for the Romans. So where were they on the popularity list with their fellow countrymen? See, that's the point. They were way down. You've got to get this deal. Uh, um, I don't know what your thinking is about the IRS today. Pr probably down. But this is even much further down. I'm going to tell you why. Because here's how they got their income. They it collected taxes for Rome from their fellow countrymen. And whatever they were able to extract above and beyond what was due Rome was their income. So they really put the screws to their fellow man. Can you imagine people doing this, taking advantage of, let's move on. And so, uh, so uh, that's what they did. They were really, really, really ill thought of. Then it says not only these tax collectors, but also uh, sinners. Now, wait just a second. Everybody has this nature. So when you see the term sinners, oftentimes in the Bible, it's used in a more limited technical sense. In this case, of three categories of people. Here's the first. Those who sin publicly manifesting acts of immorality, like a prostitute. The religious leadership labeled folk like that sinners. They sinned immorally publicly. And in so doing, they disqualified themselves from aspects of temple worship. That was a sinner, the religious people thought. Second category would be those who occupied various vocations like shepherd or tanner. A tanner 
works with the hides, the skins of animals, means dead animals. The rabbis said when you handle dead animals, a deadness of a spiritual kind corrupts you so that you are disqualified from ceremonial worship in the temple. Tanners, no good. Shepherds, wow, really low on the societal totem pole. They, they were oftentimes unclean ceremonially. They moved from place to place, meaning they developed the reputation of not being able to be counted on. Many, when they went from place to place, would help themselves to possessions which are not theirs. You could not testify in a court of law if you were a shepherd in that day. It was thought you had no credibility. You would not want your daughter to marry one of these. And they too were disqualified from much temple worship because they had uh, incurred a kind of ceremonial corruption. Then the third category of sinners are those who simply didn't live by the traditions and guidelines set forth by the religious leaders. They may not ha have ob observed the dietary laws and things like that. So the religious leaders of the day considered people in those three categories to be sinners. So all these people, tax gatherers and these others, are on the lower rung of society from a religious point of view. Don't you think it's fascinating that the greatest announcement made in the history of humankind, that is to say, of the Lord's birth was made to who? Shepherds. See, Jesus is about the business of turning all of our hierarchical structures upside down. The last shall be first, this kind of thing. You see what I mean? And so anyway, these people came to Jesus for what purpose, according to the verse? To hear him, to listen to him. Now listen, this is not a Greek class, and I'm not trying to tell you this for, to impress you. I just want you to be to get this and be excited about this. See where it says the tax collectors and sinners were, were coming it's a tense in the Greek. You know, this was written in Greek originally. So it's a tense. This verb is a tense in the Greek, which means it happened a lot. Habitual action, not one time. Not they came one time, they checked them out, they didn't like what they saw, see ya. You, not like they, you know, they visited church. Let's see if church is a cool deal. I don't like church. I'm leaving. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. It was regularly, repeatedly they were seeking him out for the sole purpose of listening to him. Why? They heard words from Rabbi Jesus they didn't hear from any other rabbi. You know what they heard from other rabbis? Keep your distance. You know what they heard from Rabbi Jesus? Come near. My goodness, a message of safety and acceptance drew, drew these people who were marginalized people in society, uh, uh, drew them to the Lord Jesus. And so that's what happened. So uh, speaking of the religious leadership, here they are, verse 2. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They were probably an official delegation sent from upper religious leadership in Jerusalem to go spy out this renegade rabbi Jesus so as to find a cause of accusation against him. And they did. They found one. Look, it says he receives sinners. What's worse, he even eats with them. What does that mean? Well, today, if you know you get a bite with someone, it doesn't mean much more than you know you're hanging out, you're eating some food. 
But in that day, in the Middle East, and even now, it meant a kind of level of fellowship and intimacy, the likes of which we can't quite relate to. To dine with someone means I accept that one. So the Jewish religious leadership said, good night. He is accepting uh, um, prostitutes, tax gatherers, and all of these, all of these people. And, and therefore, he is, he is a patronizing, he is accepting, he is supporting their lifestyle. Not true. He accepted the sinner. He did not accept the sin of the sinner. And the reason he accepted the sinner is that in getting close to him, the sinner might be transformed and cease to be a sinner and become a son or a daughter. I must tell you, this whole concept was foreign to the religious leaders of the day, many even today. It wasn't foreign for Jews in that day to collect money for the poor, alms for the poor. They would give their tithes and offerings to the temple or the synagogue. A portion of it would go to meet the needs of the, the indigent, those who are hungry. That's one thing. But nobody would eat with those who are hungry. <laughs> Here's my money. Go get yourself a burger. But, but I don't want to hang because if we hang, I may get cooties. You're going to transfer cooties. But the Lord Jesus wasn't afraid of cooties. He knew you don't get defiled by osmosis. He knew he wouldn't contract their uh, corruption, but he could transmit his righteousness. So that's what happens. That's the way it works. And so they didn't get this at all. So they say uh, this man receives sinners. What they were going to use as a basis of accusation was a high compliment. Listen, whatever else you may be confused about, about who this Jesus is. Get this straight. This man receives sinners. You, me. This is the character of this. This man does not reject sinners. This is not a religious man. This is the God man. This one receives sinners. Interesting. Religion is oftentimes juxtaposed as over against the ways of the Lord Jesus. Religion often does things in opposition to his ways, any religion. Religion causes a kind of uh, arrogance and self-righteousness, which makes you think you're better than somebody else. They thought, the religious leaders, they're better than tax collectors and all of these sinners. And for this pretender to the throne, this rabbi Jesus to actually hang with them, means he receives sinners. That's right. That's exactly what he came to do. So he told them, verse 3, this parable. So a parable is a creative means by which truth is presented. A parable is a story. It's a figure of speech. The Lord spoke in parables, some of which he explained, some of which he didn't. You have to be careful when you handle a parable in the Bible not to make it walk on all fours. What does that mean? It means don't read a truth into every detail extract from it the main truth the parable the story is trying to bring forth so that's what we're going to try to do here here's the first of three parables in Luke 15 here it is verse 4 what man among you he's speaking to the religious uh, leaders what man among you if he has a hundred sheep it's it's a, a fictitious it's a story imagine someone has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them what man to whom that has happened, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. 
The Lord often makes an appeal to human compassion for animals and says, how could you not show the same compassion for other humans? So that's what he's doing here. He's saying, what, what sane, what, 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 let me just appeal to your sense of reason. What, what, what shepherd what, who lost one sheep? It's a sheep. It's an animal. Wouldn't do everything in his power, leaving even the others behind for a spell to exert great energy in finding the one. One is just 1% of 100, right? You, you lose one, you got 100. It's only 1%. Yeah, forget it, 1%. I could live. No, what shepherd would do such a thing? The one, the lost one. You're preoccupied, if you're a good shepherd, you're preoccupied with the lostness of the one. Which of you wouldn't go after just that one? Of course, you see, this is a metaphor of how the good shepherd seeks after those who are lost today. He has his eyes on the one whom he created and loves who's lost, totally, totally in the wrong place and apart from him. And the sheep, this one sheep, it's just one, this sheep lost its way for what reason? Tell me. Why does a sheep, how does a sheep get lost? They wander and they be dumb. <laughs> sheep, you know, I'm told this, I don't know this, you know, we don't have too many sheep and where I grew up in New York, I don't know. But I'm told they're pretty stupid critters. Uh, um, I, I, I suppose you could look it up and find out just how dumb they are. Apparently, they're really stupid. A guy in the last class said, you could have a couple sheep, and one sheep is being devoured by a predatory lion, and the others will just hang out and watch. They're just stupid. You know what? The stupidity of the sheep seems not to deter the shepherd from finding it. Isn't that interesting? The shepherd is still after this dumb sheep who got himself in a jam by his own devices. And nothing could dissuade the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, from seeking after a person who is apart from him in spite of the fact that the person is apart from him by his or her own doing. Did you have a hand on it? Yeah. Linnell, I wish you would speak for yourself. <laughs> but you are speaking for all of us. And Linnell is absolutely right. Isn't that just like us? We flounder around. We don't know right from wrong. We don't know what we're doing. Absolutely correct. Absolutely. And not only does a good shepherd seek after this one lost sheep, lost through his own doing, the, the good shepherd... Um, does so at great personal expense. For as long as the sheep is lost, the, sheep, the shepherd is looking. That means sleepless nights. That means also being subjected to the same predatory dangers out there that the sheep is. A wolf, a lion, a thief, at great personal cost. Listen, it's not about sheep. It's about us. Linnell is right. It's about the Lord Jesus. He really did a lot to come and seek and save the lost. It cost him quite a bit when he came here taking the form of sheep, human form. Uh, he subjected himself to the throes of life. He cried even, didn't he? Jesus wept. Oh, my goodness. He, he established even an emotional bond with lost sheep. 
He experienced humiliation and degradation. He experienced rejection. He was ostracized by his own. He was tried on trumped-up charges by night. He was spat upon. He was pierced through and hung on a tree, naked for all to see. He suffocated on it a few hours later. The death of a, of a criminal. It cost him all. See, here's the deal. Judaism had then and now this concept. A penitent sinner who comes to God is welcomed by him. But they didn't have this concept. God will go to the sinner. You see? Religion says, come our way, do our thing, work your way up to God. The good shepherd says, you can't work your way up to me. You know what the good shepherd says? You're not even going to seek me. It's not even in you to seek me. Therefore, I come down to your level so that you don't have to climb this ladder of good deeds up to me. You can't build a ladder high enough. I can't. You don't have to do salvation for yourself. It is a done-for-you thing. I done did it for you. See how, it, how, how the Lord challenges. It's not just Judaism. It's any fill-in-the-blank. Every religion specifically is different, generally is the same. It puts the onus of responsibility on the religionist to get it together with God. God says you can't get it together. You know what, the, what God says in his word? No man seeks God. The sheep is not seeking its way back into the fold. Neither did you seek the Lord. He sought you and enabled you to respond to him. If you're a saved person, you didn't save yourself. You've been saved by the Savior who had his eye on you from before time. Now, boy, I'm getting really close to this word which Baptists hate. It's called election. <coughs> but the Bible says if you're saved, you've been elect unto it. Now, I know that engenders a whole lot of questions. If that's the case, does it not rule out human choice? I didn't say that. But which is it? Did you choose Jesus or did Jesus choose you? The answer is both. But wait, you can't harmonize those two. That's right, I can't. That's how great God is. He can. I don't know how they work together. I'm just overwhelmed by the fact that they do in the mind of God. You are called a dead person, spiritually speaking. How does a dead person walk an aisle merely because a preacher invites him to? Holy Spirit. Thanks, Charlie. That is right. Who convicts us of sin in judgment and righteousness. Now look, I'm one of three siblings. I got two older sisters. We're very close, but they're not close to the Lord. When we talk, we don't argue. It's worse than that. It's total indifference. Things of the Lord are water off a duck's back. I can't even get a good fight going with them. So I say, oh God, why is it that me, one of the three, has responded to you, but the other two not? I would like to think it's because I'm a better person. <laughs> okay, fine. That doesn't work. <laughs> Thanks for your vote of confidence. <clears throat> It is that God enabled me. He granted me repentance. Now, I know that leads to the question, but then what about my sisters? I don't have all those answers. 
All I know is he saved me. I know he didn't save me because of merit and virtue and all that. I know that. He's sovereign God. He could do what he wants to. So don't get nervous about this. Oh, you're a Calvinist. Come on. Let's not throw these labels around like crazy. Let's just be biblicists. The Bible talks about the fact that if you're saved, you got saved by the Savior. Don't, don't, let's not label things like that. Let's just handle the Bible in its totality. Anyway, all right, so we'll move on. Thanks for your emails in advance. <laughs> and so, 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 so look, this notion of a God who's come at great sacrifice to seek and save the lost was foreign to the Judaism of the day. It is an overwhelming kind of a thing. So here's what happens now. When this shepherd in the parable finds the sheep, look, verse 5, when he has found it, look what he does. He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. One of the most famous artistic depictions of the Lord as good shepherd, you're familiar with it, I know many, are of him smiling, dressed in, as a shepherd, and with the lamb, a sheep draped over his shoulders. You, you know this one? It's be quite beautiful. And do you notice he's holding on to the sheep's feet? You know why? So it doesn't get away because the sheep has not become all that smart, just all that saved now, but the sheep is prone to wander and it's not going to happen. I love John 10 verse 28. I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. If you're a saved person, the security of your salvation does not have to do with your strong grip on the Lord. It has to do with his strong grip on you. Yes. You see, that's the assurance of your salvation. So the poor sheep was probably exhausted, hungry, tired, scared. There's no hint of the sheep being confronted by the wrath of the shepherd who found it. We don't see mention of a whip and a kick, get back where you belong. No. We see, we see delight. The shepherd picks up the needy, foolish, tired, exhausted, and hungry sheep, lays hold of it gently and yet securely and formally, uh, firmly to bring it to its place, to bring it to where it belongs, to bring it in, in, into the fold. There's no hint of a reluctant shepherd here scolding the sheep. You just have to know this. Listen here. This Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be in his fold. He's not mad at you. He's not going to yell at you. He's not going to preach at you. He's going to say, you are lost. I came at great personal sacrifice so that you could be found. Will you allow me to lift you up and bring you to the place where you belong? Religion says you have to hold all this at arm's length. You're one of those defiled people. The good shepherd says, not only is that not true, but I've come to find you. You're not even looking for me. Don't keep the Lord Jesus at arm's length when he has spread out his arms wide so as to embrace you, lift you up on his shoulders. And notice the joy and elation. Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So that's a theme here. When the good shepherd finds the lost sheep, not only is there not disgust, anger, 
this joy which is contagious. He wants to spread the joy. A sheep was lost, it is now found. And he tells all the neighbors, because the sheep which was lost is now in its intended place. Now that's the parable. Here's the application, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, so we're going from creative story to real life application. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Well, who is it that needs no repentance? Right. It's just people who think they don't need repentance. So here the Lord is likening the 99 to the Pharisees who were caught up in a sense of their own self-righteousness. Listen, the Pharisees would be quick to say, you are right, Rabbi Jesus, to identify through the parable these tax collectors and sinners as lost sheep. They would agree there. But they would not see that the same description applies to them. How could we be lost? Look at our vestments. Look at our clerical garb. Look at the liturgy we perform. Look at our incense. Look at our this. Look at our that. Look at the big top hats we wear. Look at the prestige we have. Look at the services we render. Look at the authority we have. Look at the rules, the regulations. Look at all of it. And that's why religious people are some of the toughest to reach. It is not sin that keeps a person out of heaven. It's rejection of the sin bearer that keeps one out of heaven. And one who refuses to see his or her lostness sees no need for a sin bearer and thereby causes the sin bearer no cause for rejoicing. But the one who says, I am lost. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm wandering aimlessly. I need the Savior's big shoulders to lift me up and out of it and carry me home. That one causes the Savior and all the host of heaven to experience great joy and great rejoicing. So you see this juxtaposition, two responses in the parable and the one to follow. You see grumbling by religionists and joy by the Redeemer. Quite, quite interesting. So today, religious people and those who are self-righteous, for instance, and I know I get on this kick a lot, and here I go again. A lot of... Uh, Hollywood folks, uh, we just say well-known, popular folks, rich and famous folks, are given to all kinds of causes, many of which are wonderful. Feed the poor, protest uh, uh, hostilities, persecution in Sudan, um, whatever the deal is. These are all good things. Don't, don't miss the point. Maybe it's cynical me. But I often think, good night. What it means to many of these people is uh, an excuse from uh, identifying and admitting to their own lostness. Because they could behind, hide behind token acts of self-righteousness and thus make the defense, 
I don't need someone else's righteousness imputed to my account because I got enough of my own. Now, why do I say something like that? Because those very people seem oft to be engaged in the most godless lifestyles. Why do people get married in Hollywood? I don't understand what the point is. There's no intent to stay with it. I mean, every three days, someone is dumping his spouse or her spouse for somebody else who looks better. I mean, what is the... Why don't you just go from one to the other without wasting your time and with the license? And the, I mean, so you see, I'm not seeing a consistent... So, so these are good projects, but the projects seem to be cosmetic, added on, tacked on to the essence of the person because the essence of the person is revealed not in the project where people build a house or something like that, whatever the deal is. The essence of the person is what they do in the dark. It is not a pretty... I don't misunderstand. That's me too. Yeah, I'm lost too. That's why all these humanity... It's some of the most immoral, depraved people in the world are at the forefront of the environmental movement. Why? Because it can externalize the problem. The pollution is in the air. No, it isn't. It's in here. But if I don't want to admit to that, I talk about a new light bulb. <laughs> See, if I don't want to have to admit I have let down Father God through sin, then I can instead substitute Mother Earth and it becomes the deity I can control instead of the deity with whom I have to make do. Environmentalism is a religion. I didn't say we shouldn't be good stewards. Christians ought to be on the forefront of it. I'm talking about environmentalism, capital E. It's unbelievable. Oh, I'm so glad our home is eco-friendly. Yeah, and you're living in it with someone of the same gender. You're living in an eco-friendly home, but with animosity and rebellion against the God who made them male and female. Now, where do I get this? All you got to do is watch House Hunters. That's unbelievable to me. House Hunters, it's like primetime TV. You know, it's not like HBO, 2 o'clock in the morning. It's House Hunters for crying out loud. Every once in a while, you get a guy and a gal who happen to be married. Wow, that's odd. Usually it's two ladies, life partners, two guys, life partners, a guy and a gal living together, thinking about one day getting married. What the heck? Oh, I'm glad this is eco-friendly because we want to do our share for the environment. What are you talking about? You have already polluted the environment. Me too, me too, me too. But this is what I'm saying. If you don't see your lostness, then you think, because you buy an eco-friendly home, you got brownie points with Mother Earth. Maybe. But not with Father God. So, so you see what the Lord is saying? I don't rejoice over self-righteous religionists and good doers. I rejoice over the person who says, all your righteousnesses are like dung, garbage, filthy rags. To me. That's what he says. Okay. So now you got a second parable. I'll take less time with this one because my blood pressure is going up. Did you notice? <laughs> you notice this? So 
So here's the second parable. First, a lost sheep, now a lost coin. Look at this. Verse 8. What woman, if she has ten silver coins, that's called a drachma, drachma. There's a denarius, but this coin is a drachma, one, the equivalent of one day's wages, drachma. Why ten? I'll tell you in a second. What if the, a woman has these ten silver coins? She loses one. That means she has nine left. Doesn't she? What woman doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully till she finds it? Well, what, what do you mean light a lamp? What, the Lord is using in the parable a poor lady. Poor people lived in houses then without windows. She lost one of her ten coins. She can't see. She has to light a lamp. She's sweeping feverishly. Why? It's just a coin. What's the big deal? I know it has monetary value. It's a day's wages. Okay. But what's the big deal? It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it is. Because this is what a young Jewish girl would receive when she got married. She would receive a headdress or headband consisting of ten silver coins. It was probably part of her dowry from her father. And she would wear it proudly. I'm wedded now. My status has changed. Here is my husband. I am his bride. Look, if she lost one of the coins, therefore, can you imagine the shame and embarrassment? Therefore, what woman in that situation, says the Lord, wouldn't look feverishly for it until she found the coin? And when she has found it, verse 9, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, and she says, here's the theme of joy again, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Sheep lost because of stupidity. A coin lost maybe because of negligence. What's the difference? Lost, lost, lost. But the one who finds it still rejoices when it's found. In the same way, here's the application, verse 10, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we learned something about heaven. It's a place of great celebration of jo and joy, particularly due to the fact that ones who are lost have been found. Great joy. This is what God rejoices over. This is who he is. Don't you see there's no reason for you to be apart from him? He would not only not give you a piece of his mind <laughs> if you admit to your lostness and run to him to be saved, he and the whole heavenly host would be given a cause of great rejoicing. That's just how important you are. He came at great sacrifice. The woman looks feverishly for a lost inanimate object. A man looks feverishly for an animal. How about the giver of life? Don't you think he'll look feverishly for you to whom he gave life and wants you to live it the way it's supposed to be? The way it's supposed to be lived. Religion had no such concept. The term Pharisee means to separate from, and they did. They used their religion to erect a barrier between them and the unspiritual. They had all these rules and regulations and 
garments and vestments and all this crazy stuff which separated them from the mass of humanity. And they thought they were a cut above and they thought they, by osmosis, could get some spiritual disease from others and therefore they separated. They were Pharisaic. They were religionists. They separated and the Lord said, the problem is separation from me. Me. And he said, unlike you, I came to bridge the gap so that there need not be any, any separate. Do you know in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of a person who doesn't know the Lord, it doesn't really call them unsaved. It calls them lost. What does that mean? If something is lost, it's out of place. If a person is lost, that person is out of place. That person's place is to be close to the giver of life, not distant. Lostness not only means out of place, but out of purpose. <laughs> a lost sheep is of no value to its shepherd. A lost coin is of no value to the woman. A lost person is of no value to the giver of life who intends to be glorified through all people. Can you see why heaven rejoices when a lost one is saved? Now they're in the right place. Now they can live according to their purpose. And that is for the creature to give glory to the creator. Charlie? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well said. Folks, can you see, um, again, the parable, you could read a little too much into it. The main thing is um, uh, for Jesus to be distinguished from all other pretenders to the throne as someone who came at great uh, sacrifice uh, in order to save ones who cannot who cannot do a thing for themselves, who are who are really lost, who 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 are really disoriented and confused and without any hope, he came to do to do all of that. Jesus is not inviting people into a religious system, as religionists even today are. You can convert to Islam, you can convert to Judaism, any ism. You can do all of those things. There's there's an initiation procedure. You know what I mean and. Then you take on the accoutrements of the faith. It might be in Judaism, you wear different uh, garments on your head. You, do, you wear things underneath. You, you do whatever you want. In Mormonism, which we're hearing a lot about today, you wear certain garments, you have certain practices, and so on. You can do that. You could do that if you want to. Well, that's not what Jesus said. He, he did not come so that we uh, join any religious uh, body. He, he said, I came so that you could be joined to me. And I love the phrase in the Bible that talks about the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, if you made it really, really hard, foolish sheep could not get on board. I know various ones, don't ask me why, Gentile folks who are converting to Judaism. I don't understand why you're doing that. Uh, some do, sadly. 
And then you have to go through all kinds of things to learn, to grow, to begin to fit in. And the shepherd said, I just want to pick you up. Jesus said, I just want to, would you, would you let me lay hold of you? You don't have to lay hold of any, what, body, of data? Inf I just, I just want to lay hold. Can you see the difference? See the difference between religion and personal religion? Well, recently someone said, Stuart, when did you become such a religious person? <gasps> Where have I gone wrong? I don't want to be. I'm no religious. What? No, no. No, no, no. I, 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 t I told that person, well, see, I used to be a religious person. I didn't become a religious person now because religion was unbecoming to me. I became a redeemed person. Religion couldn't do it. There are beautiful aspects of religion. That's the problem. It's the very deceptive side of beautiful religion. You know, have you ever heard the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? It's beautiful. Have you ever seen them sing from the temple in Salt Lake City? I have. It is magnificent. That's the problem. It's the beautiful side of evil and darkness and deception. I made a statement that's pretty strong, didn't I? But it's true. See, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you. There aren't levels of celestial heavens as is taught, taught in Mormonism. Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer as is taught in Mormonism. You don't need a certain number of multiple wives in order to ensure your place in heaven. I mean, you, you study Mormonism. I didn't say there aren't good morals and ethics. That's the problem. Self-righteous religionists are very, very hard to save because they refuse to admit they're lost. You see what I mean? That's why the Lord, do you notice in the scriptures, he frequently went to marginalized people? Marginalized people are aware. They don't fit. They're looking for a fit. And the Lord Jesus says, I have a place where you can fit in my arms. He came to seek and save the, the lost. So listen, here's the deal. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Not good enough. <laughs> it's very, very possible that, you, that you're not connected to, to this Jesus we've just been speaking about. Thanks for coming, by the way. But you don't, you don't get any points. You don't get any points for coming. So, so what I would like to do is invite you, if you want to talk during the week uh, about this Jesus, uh, many of us here would be willing to, but since I'm, I got the, I'm the guy here, uh, you just call the church, say, I want to talk to Stuart. There's only one Stuart here, one's enough, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I just want to talk to you, that's all. See, here's the deal. It just occurred to me, everything's been done for you to be found, to be, for you to be rightly positioned and to find your purpose in life. Everything's been done. This shepherd has done it all. He's done it all. Wouldn't it be a shame if what he did is in vain on your behalf? It could be. I'm not trying to preach to anybody. It just really could be. I would like to help you to see you're lost. Maybe you see it already. But I would like to accentuate that sense of lostness. Not to stay there. Because that has to happen as a precursor for being wanting to be found. Saved. Redeemed. So but maybe I have questions. Legitimate questions. Maybe I've offended you in in some way. That's, that's the stuff that makes for good conversation. So, so all you got to do is call. If I'm busy, I'll call you back. 
We'll pull off to the side. We could be private. We could talk. You could say, I have questions. I have concerns. I, I have needs. Wh whatever the deal is. I don't know everything. I don't know about the economy. By the way, nobody does. Um, um, uh, except those who, never mind. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, 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 but I know something about this good shepherd because I, I, I know what it's like to be carried on his strong shoulders. And there's room there for you, too. That's the deal. That's what I know about. And so I would, I would like to talk to you. So you got to do is call. It's very private, confidential, no charge. Not too much, a little bit. And we get together at a time that's convenient to you. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. I just thought about what the the good shepherd did to make himself available to us. We ought to do a few things to make ourselves available to you. So that's the deal. You're not imposing. You understand what I mean? So, y so get this right, would you? Uh, make sure you're right. Make sure you're in the fold. M make sure you're in the Lord's embrace. Make sure he's, y you've permitted him to be a good shepherd f for you. Uh, so, so, so give me a call during the week. We'll, we'll be glad to, to talk with you. Lord Jesus, why? because you've changed us and now, now, now we find our place and purpose and it's to do that which is pleasing to you. Why not? You're the good shepherd. Thank you for making yourself so accessible to us. You really have done it all so that now it's up to us to respond. Oh God, I pray. There be not one person here whose response is rejection of your offer. That would be terrible, terrible, eternal tragedy. So, Lord Jesus, grant salvation to those who stand in need of it. That's how it works. That's what you've come to do. Why? Because you are one who receives sinners. Thank you so much for doing that. For such are we. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. See you sometime. <laughs>